I'm Dave Baker. And I'm Spandrew Spice. Welcome to Deep Cuts, the podcast where we pick a topic and walk you through the ins, the outs, and the nitty-gritty, so you can appear like an interesting and idiosyncratic person at your next forced social function. Today's topic is... Frank Ducks and the increasingly bizarre story of Bloodsport. Who is Frank Ducks? Well, he's a martial arts practitioner, spy, military operative, and just general badass. He went on missions for the American government overseas, where he participated in the destruction of foreign chemical weapons plants and secret underground martial arts competitions. Due to his extensive, larger-than-life exploits, he also is the basis for the iconic Jean-Claude Van Damme film, Bloodsport. And surprising to no one listening to this podcast, he might have made it all up. It's the martial arts of willing yourself into being the most interesting man in the world. Frank William Ducks was born April 6, 1956, in Toronto, Canada. He moved to California at the age of seven. Despite a relatively normal childhood, he was a self-proclaimed loser. Until he enrolled in a martial arts dojo and began training to turn himself into a living weapon. The man who would eventually be an internationally renowned martial arts expert trained under Senzo Tiger Tanaka in order to become a ninja. He even claims that Tiger Tanaka took him to Japan at the age of 16 to test his abilities against real-life ninjas. The adventure would ultimately change his entire life. His experience in the martial arts underground would transform him from a kid from the suburbs into a vengeful walking missile. It would forge him in the traditions of eons old and provide him with the strength and background to accomplish near unbelievable feats of strength. All right, Spandrew, uh, so we've got some photos here of our friend, friend of the show, friend of the pod, Frank Ducks, one of which he's here posing with a very young Jean-Claude Van Damme, and the other two he's posing, one in a black gi making generic martial arts hand motions, and the other in a black leather duster wearing motorcycle gloves, posing in front of a bunch of binoculars. Um, I'm not even joking. There's three sets of binoculars that I'm seeing and maybe a telephoto lens. Um, what do you, what, how would you describe old Frank Ducks? He looks like a 1970s easy listening clarinetist who is trying to sneak into a The Cure concert. Easy listening clarinetist. <laughs> that's a pretty good. Uh, that's a pretty good explanation for his his vibe. I would say. Um, so you know he looks to be about a six foot tall Caucasian man, probably two two hundred to twenty. Um, I mean, to, to be fair, to be fair, in the picture with with Jean Claude Van Damme, he looks more like a martial arts guy. Like it's it like, but in the other pictures, it's what I said. It looks like it looks like his his idea of living life on the wild side is like eating is like drinking non pasteurized milk, and then this is his idea of how dressing like a badass is. Yeah, uh, he looks very much like the type of he, you know what he Frank Ducks gives off extreme 
recently divorced single dad trying to hit on somebody at a PTA conference. Yeah, Frank Ducks has a real, uh, so you come here often vibe, but he's usually saying, so you come here often at like the grocery store meets aisle. Yeah, he looks like he would utter the phrase, this big wheel is kicking my ass on Christmas Eve. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, he's the type of guy that gets irrationally angry over Ikea building instructions. Um, Yeah, Caucasian guy, thin face, kind of close set eyes, dark brown hair. And one of them, he's got like a mini mullet. And in the photo with uh, Van Damme, he's got like the quintessential 80s. I'm definitely not an undercover cop mustache. Yeah, I mean, honest, honestly, the the evolute like between these pictures, like it it looks like it looks like somebody who is like who has like made the evolution into his like dark phase. Like in the first picture, he looks like a divorced dad taking taekwondo lessons on the weekends because his there's a guy at work who's giving him shit, and it's not that he would ever actually fight him, but he just wants to have the thought that if he ever did have to fight him. He wouldn't just get his ass handed to him in two seconds. He would at least be able to like pretend like he could fight back. And then in the second picture, he looks like he lo- he did get into the fight. The Taekwondo lessons did not help. He got his ass handed to him. It gave him this new dark outlook on society. And he's turned into like the 1980s version of a of like an edgelord. Yeah, dude. like the. Yeah, like this last photo of him in the trench coat with all these binoculars and shit seems like the type of photo that would be in like a conspiracy theory anti-surveillance zine, you know? Like the zine is called 1984 or something. And it's like, we have an interview with Frank Duck's security specialist. And it's like secretly just like an ad for some kind of binoculars or listening device or something. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he's he's seen some shit between these two pictures. Or... Not, and he's pretended like he's seen some shit. In 1975, Ducks enlisted into the Marine Corps, but unknown to anyone in his life, he was secretly conscripted into a 60-round martial arts kumite tournament. Astonishingly, he was the first Westerner to win the tournament and set the world record for most consecutive knockouts, 56. During this tournament, he also set the records for fastest knockout and fastest punch. Following this outlandish performance, he quickly moved through the Marine Corps ranks and was accelerated through training to become a CIA operative. He then was sent on covert missions to destroy a Nicaraguan fuel depot and an Iraqi chemical weapons plant. He was granted the Medal of Honor in secret for his brave displays of heroism. Believe it or not, the prize for winning the Kumite tournament was a sword and a small trophy. What happened to the sword, you ask? The only tangible proof that he's not a big old fashion lying liar. Well, he sold it to get ransom money to pay pirates who had kidnapped a boatload of children. <laughs> Can you imagine him at just like a local like Indonesian pawn shop or something? And they're like, what do you what do you want to sell? And he's like, well, I've got this fucking katana. Why do you want to sell the katana? To rescue a boatload of orphaned children from pirates. Did I mention pirates? All right. All right, Frank. So you've hired me to be your new image consultant and to craft your identity for you and help you basically like present yourself to the world 
as Frank Duck's secret CIA assassin. So I've come up with a list of backstory elements here. So I'll just read through these. I think that this is a, I, I spent a lot of time on this. I think this is a really good way to come out and, you know, come at it. Um, and I think you'll see that it's like, it's, it strikes a perfect ba balance between like being really subtle, but also like, you know, really selling your heroism. Uh, yeah. So I read over the, the backstory and, um, I think that, uh, have you ever heard the term crank it to 11? <laughs> I love it. I love it. So where does a spook like this go once he's on top of the world? Well, usually there's nowhere to go but down. And down usually means missing an action. But that wasn't the life Frank Ducks would leave. And it definitely wasn't going to be his end. So he returned to the valley, his homeland. He took upon himself a simple life of teaching martial arts back in California. So this is a, this is a clip of, hey, of Frank Ducks on like a... Sunday morning, like, talk show death style, like Regis and Kelly style situation. Hit someone, leave no bruise, no mark whatsoever, and yet kill them or let them die hours later. This so sounds like a, a James Bond movie, you realize. It, well, the ninjas were the James Bond. He's got that Japan. quintessential oh, okay. uh, you know, you 80s poof hair. Yeah. He's yeah. definitely not an undercover tie. cop. Really mustache. Easy to break this time he's wearing a white and red Yeah, he's he's just hardcore divorced dad. I'll leave the top one. That's intact. all, just the bottom one? Yeah, break the Okay. The like, bottom one. before it, this, Which he was no, definitely on a payphone saying, I don't understand why you don't want to live with me. That you put in there. That's right. Okay. How about wow. These break easier, by the way. Okay, these let's are a lot go. easier to How break. How about it, big guy? Should I move? Is this going to fly across here? No, it's just okay. going to drop. Okay. Ready? Oh. <laughs> give, give me real James oh. Hydrick vibes. Hey, and I will demonstrate. <laughs> These two not broken, ladies and gentlemen. It was basically he punches it and it shatters. <laughs> so stupid. That's the that's the whole demonstration. He just goes on Sunday uh, Sunday morning show, Saturday morning show, whatever it is, and he's like, "Yeah, check it out. I could punch a brick and it'll break." You know, it's somebody who spent like years as a secret underground CIA operative, you know, operating in in hostile territories spying taking down enemies rescuing boatloads of children does or wants to do is go on morning talk shows and just like break a brick that's definitely <laughs> what they want to do and give any shit about doing and here's where things get interesting while back in california a screenwriter named sheldon lenich started reading articles about his daring exploits in black belt magazine and after interviewing ducks became completely enthralled by the idea of Kumite and the idea of a martial arts tournament to the death, which led to the iconic canon film's release, Bloodsport. Centering on Jean-Claude Van Damme, the film follows a character named, wait for it, Frank Ducks. The film was a massive success and breakout vehicle for Jean-Claude Van Damme, starting one of the most successful action careers of all time. The film ends with a title screen that reveals everything you've just seen was real, and based on Frank Dux's actual accomplishments. Audiences loved it, so much so that it not only spawned JCVD's actual career, but a franchise. Three sequels were produced, none of which starred Van Damme, and a remake was also in the works, with V for Vendetta's James McTeague set to direct. However, it fell apart. And not, not only all of that, not only did they make this movie based on Frank Dux's alleged life, but also... 
he directly inspired and led to the creation of the Mortal Kombat franchise because originally Mortal Kombat was a blood sport video game that was going to star Jean-Claude Van Damme. The licensing deal fell apart and so they spun it off and created like a fictional new IP based on the idea of a of a martial arts tournament. They added in the supernatural element and made it this sort of like magical underworld thing. And the character of Johnny Cage is a direct parody of Jean-Claude Van Damme, where they were kind of like poking fun at him because they sort of blamed him for the whole licensing deal falling apart. I mean, one, I love Johnny Cage. Two, I love Jean-Claude Van Damme. Three, I love Mortal Kombat. Four, I want to love Frank Ducks. I want I mean, this. I mean, what? I w- what? How could you not? He 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 saved a boatload of children, Dave. He he sold his sword for a boatload of children. The sacrifice. <laughs> he sold his sword, and he also directly inspired the creation of the Mortal Kombat franchise, <laughs> and launched JCVD's career. He's the great greatest American in history. He's a real life GI Joe. Uh, greatest American who's actually a Canadian in real life. Isn't that always the case, though? It's funny, too, because, like, that little detail of, like, the American who went overseas and did the fucking tournament to the death is, like, well, he's actually a Canadian. And it, it's, like, a perfect synecdoche for everything we're talking about, where it's, like, if you just think about it and do, like, a minimal amount of research, it's kind of like, oh, yeah, wait, I feel like maybe this isn't, no, maybe? I don't know. I think that's the, well, you know what? I'm going to save this until I mean, we but, get to the but end. Come on, but that's always the case, though. Greatest American rock star in history, Brian Adams, Canadian. Greatest comedian in all history, Seth Rogen, actually Canadian. Justin Bieber, actually Canadian. Yeah. Greatest American church-going Christian guy, Justin Bieber, actually Canadian. Joe Schuster, creator of fucking Superman, actually Canadian. I like how mine were like clearly like these aren't the greatest of this. And then yours was like a real one. <laughs> <laughs> I mostly just the, the I was going to say Jim Carrey next, but then I actually just started thinking of like, you know, actually like fucking, you know, Joe Schuster was from Toronto or the sticks outside of Toronto, I guess. Isn't Todd McCarlin from Canada or does he just live? Yes. In Canada? Yes. He's yeah. also from around there. Yeah. 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 Greatest American ever. Toddy Mac, the Todd father, the Toddster, El Todorino, Big T. Canadian. Fucking Canadian. Leslie Nielsen is Canadian. I'm running out of people. I don't, I don't, I got you. Aren't you from Canada? Yeah. By way of Spaswell, New Mexico. I, I, uh, oh I yeah. Bor- in New York. I was born. Yeah, yeah, I was yeah. born. Spaswell, I was born in Spaswell, New Mexico and New York. Where everyone I was born in-, in Canada. I was born in, in Toronto, Canada. At the age of seven, I moved to Spaswell, New Mexico. And then uh, when I turned 19, I moved to New York. And that's where I was until I moved out here to the Mystery Treehouse. <laughs> right, 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 right. Forgot. Um, so, you know, we got we got this image here that is uh, uh, a, 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 a screen grab of the final title card in uh, in Bloodsport. And it's a it's a shot of Jean-Claude Van Damme doing, you know, like a martial arts salute. And the, the text over it says, from 1975 to 1980, Frank's W. Ducks fought 329 matches. He retired undefeated as the world heavyweight full contact Kumite champion. And then there's another title screen after this that has a bunch of his accomplishments. Um, what was your first experience with Bloodsport 
Do you like the movie? Did you see the movie? Have you seen the sequels? Yeah, yeah. I, I love Bloodsport. I mean, I love I love JCVD. Um, when I was a kid, um, it was actually uh, I didn't I didn't actually ever really like get a whole lot of culture from my stepdad. He did. He really he, he wasn't into many things that I was into. He was into sports. I had no interest in sports. But the one thing that my stepdad was a fan of was was Jean Claude Van Damme movies. Um, and I feel like it's funny because I feel like my resting place is Arnold Schwarzenegger movies. Like that's my real like resting place of like movie comfort. And those were the movies I was really into. I was a huge Schwarzenegger fan, um, which uh, as a funny side note, uh, I, I realized how difficult it must be for people who didn't grow up in the 90s to understand why Arnold Schwarzenegger means so much to us. Uh, whenever I, I went to a uh, a screening uh, of this movie, like it was like four or five years ago or five or six years ago at this point, uh, I went to, we went to the screen, this advanced screening of this Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. I forget the name of it, uh, but it's it was like a drama where his wife and daughter died in a plane crash because an air traffic controller played by Scoot McNary like made a mistake that caused a plane crash. And then it's basically this movie about like Arnold Schwarzenegger grieving his family while Scoot McNary's character like comes to grips with having caused this accident and killed all these people. And we saw this advanced screening of it. And at the end, there was a focus group. And this friend of ours, who's like a younger guy that was there with us, he's a much younger guy. So he he did not grow up in the 90s. He's probably he's probably he's born in like mid to late 90s. And his earliest memories are probably of the 2000s. And uh, there was a screening and they and they were like, you know, is there any is there any like questions or thoughts or anything that you wanted to give? And he raised his hand and he was like, uh, yeah, or no, he said, they, they, was there any was there any thoughts you had about Arnold Schwarzenegger's performance? And he raised his hand and he said, yeah, um, why didn't you just get a different guy? And like everybody started laughing, and he was like, I don't so understand it. He's like, he like he he he's not a good actor. Like, why did you cast him? He's he's just like he's he's not he's not good there's like so many good actors you could have cast and i was like i was like i was like stop like that's not the kind of questions they're asking for they don't want you to like give feedback on like fundamentally changing the movie in ways that cannot be done and are irreversible but it made me realize it was like oh yeah like if you did not grow up in that time like it must be so bizarre that people are such huge fans of Arnold Schwarzenegger he's such a weird uh just presence as an actor um but but i was i was a huge Schwarzenegger fan so uh, my my stepdad uh, introducing me to Jean Claude Van Damme movies was almost like a little like offshoot, and I actually grew to appreciate JCVD like more later on. I I became a much bigger fan of him when I was in like high school and stuff like that. But I did watch a lot of these movies on VHS uh, when I was a kid. Um, the Kickboxer, Bloodsport, um, and I don't I don't think I did watch the sequels. I think I just watched the first one, uh, but I did I did like it for sure. I feel like I feel like Jean-Claude Van Damme movies in my mind, even if this isn't true necessarily, if like Arnold Schwarzenegger movies were like these big sort of almost family friendly, like uh, blockbuster type movies, um, Jean-Claude Van Damme movies were like smaller, way more violent movies. I don't even know if that's actually true or not, but that's kind of how I thought of it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I love Bloodsport and Kickboxer and... Uh the movie JCVD and oh yeah that uh, that movie is fucking like not only is that movie great but also like who would have known that 
Jean-Claude Van Damme is actually a genuinely good actor. Yeah, he's amazing in the movie. Um, and also, you know, I'm not going to lie. I've got a soft spot for that terrible fucking movie, Double Team. Oh, yeah? Uh, with, with uh, is that the Dennis Rodman. Yeah, with Dennis Rodman. I, I, I always confuse that with the other weird movie that was like knockoff yeah knockoff where it was it's 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 jean-claude van damme and rob schneider is that who's in that yeah yeah uh-huh yeah yeah when i was out in arizona this last time my my soon-to-be brother-in-law and i watched uh double team and man that movie that movie is so hard to follow like it was directed by like a chinese director uh, this dude who made uh once upon a time in china one two and three and so the, the movie like looks beautiful with each individual shot but i don't know what went in went on behind the scenes but like from literal shot to shot it like doesn't make sense like you're like wait who's where what's happening where's that guy going what does he want like it's it's so confusing i feel like that happens a lot though like th- there was this there was this thing that happened in the 90s where they got a bunch of the of the 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 chi- the Hong Kong action directors to make American movies, but they just kind of like didn't think through the the logistical issue of the language barrier. And so they're these amazing directors like John Woo, but like they just literally could not communicate with the with the crew. And so the movies are just like bizarre, like like yeah, like face like, off and and uh, completely Broken I mean, Arrow. It's very apparent. It's very apparent that Double Team was supposed to be a face off or you know uh the killer or even like the replacement killers you know just like a big you know mid-budget 50 million dollar action movie american studio thing with a director with a point of vision a point of view vision and the uh the director i think his name is sui hark uh or sui hark i I don't know how to pronounce it but yeah he it's very apparent that he a knows how to make movies and b did not work well in whatever the fuck system they had him working in. Because <laughs> it's like, it's there's a scene where uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme and Mickey Rourke, who plays the villain, are like squaring off in this like carnival and there's all these people shooting guns. And it's so like, it's so confusing of like, who is shooting at who? Why are they shooting at who? It's just like close-ups of people holding guns pointing in different directions. And you're like, wait, is that guy in a hoodie a good guy or a bad guy? Wait, is the guy in, in the other hoodie a good guy? What the fuck is happening? Like, it's it's so confusing. And he also, like, did, does this thing where he, like, has close-ups here. So it's, like, three-quarter underneath someone's chin looking up at them. And it just gives everybody a double chin. Like... Like you could you could have zero percent body fat and you just look like a fucking goober when you're shot from that angle. Yeah, but I, I have a real soft spot for it. As Bloodsport continued to grow in popularity and cult status, and as the decades ticked on, one thing became exceedingly clear to hardcore fans of the project: the details didn't quite add up. As much as everyone wanted to believe Frank Dux's book, The Secret Man: colon, An American Warrior's Uncensored Story was the gospel of what had actually happened. It just seemed like things weren't fully there. The way you know that a story is true is the longer the book title, the more true it is. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. When you really have to, when you're so insecure that your book title is just like a, 
like a self-insulating, uh, uh, like contract clause ex- expressing the validity of your own story. You know that it's the truth. <laughs> Frank bo- so- Frank Dux's book, The Secret Man: Colon, an American warrior's uncensored story that is definitely true and. Any attempts at calling its validity into question will be met swiftly with legal action. Double colon, my dick is huge. (laughs) Act two. Let's do JJ Arms, but make it really muscled and screamy. As interest in Bloodsport grew and technology evolved, lying got harder. With a quick Google search, fans uncovered the fact that Dux's military record indicated that he never was stationed anywhere outside of San Diego, California. The only injury he ever suffered was falling off of a truck that he was told to paint. (laughs) And (laughs) And the medals that he had in his possession were presented with mismatched ribbons. Ribbons the Marine Corps just simply doesn't use. Okay, with these with these lot with these story with these famous lies, the the level the level of how big and how extravagant the lies are is like exactly correlative with how embarrassing the truth is. Like when yeah. like when you hear when you hear the truth of the it's always something like that. Whenever when there's like this big lie of like somebody lied about their lives. The reality is always like, in reality, uh, his penis fell off when he was 17 years old and he had to get a stick sewn on in place of it so that he could pee standing up like that. It's always something like that, like with the bigger the lie, the more like weird and humiliating the truth is. I got hurt falling off of a building I was painting. It's not even that. I got hurt falling off of a truck I was painting. (laughs) Dux's medical files include notes that on January 22nd, 1978, he was entered into a psychiatric facility because of, quote, flighty and disconnected ideas. What exactly does that mean? Well, for one, he repeatedly claimed that CIA director William Casey sent Dux on missions and that they met in the men's room. And then... The ultimate blow came. The finishing move. The final JCVD screaming in slow-mo while blood arcs through the air. A journalist uncovered that the Kumite trophy that Ducks displayed was made at a local hobby shop in the San Fernando Valley. (gasps) Oh my god. Shocker of all shockers. It wasn't real? It was just a it was real to me bullshit trophy that he had made in the valley where he lived and clearly was like just a scam artist who was running a dojo like all these fucking scam artist dudes do. People came to Ducks asking for proof. They wanted to meet Tiger Tanaka. Ducks responded that Tanaka had died July 30th, 1975. The state of California does not support that assertion, however. And this is where the obvious comes into play. After asking multiple members of the Japanese martial arts community about the presence of Tiger Tanaka and receiving no valid response, Shoto Tanimura, a ninja master, pointed out that Tiger Tanaka is the name of the ninja spy that James Bond teams up with 
and you only live twice. Bro, I am not going to front. When I was doing this research and he was talking about Tiger Tanaka, I immediately was like, Tiger Tanaka, like the fucking operative in Japan that Bond meets and you only live twice? And you'd think there would be a lot of crossover between like fans of this movie and the Bond franchise, that there would be more people that were just like, that's just that character from James Bond. Yeah, like it's not like a subtle or obscure thing. It's not like he's referencing some, you know, kind of antiquated 17th century novel or something. He's referencing like a pop spy novel that got turned into one of the biggest films of all time. And it's like it took an actual ninja master. Not The ninja master didn't even like the way that he debunked it wasn't by being like, well, I've consulted the records of ninja masters in Japan and I've met with my community and we've all, you know, discovered and uh, that this Tiger Tanaka never existed within our ranks. It was just him being like, yes, I happen to be a ninja master. So I I get why you're asking me to debunk this but like that's just a james bond character bro like you you didn't have to ask me (laughs) yeah he's all he's like y'all ever heard of pussy galore (laughs) and then just like walks out of the room backwards there's like he's just like i uh after long deliberation we have i have determined that tiger tanaka is not and has never been a, a a ninja master the that anybody within our our community recognizes Oh, how did you how did you figure that out? Did you like consult with uh, the um, the the vast network of ninja masters operating throughout the world? Did you look at some records that are being kept by some sort of like record keeper within the ninja community who's been passing this down from generation to generation? Like, no, I just uh, I rented You Only Live Twice from Blockbuster. <laughs> But you know what? Maybe maybe we're just painting painting things in a weird light. Maybe Frank Ducks isn't a piece of shit liar cut from the mold of people like JJ Arms who tried to swindle their way to the top. Maybe maybe he's a real martial arts master. Let's play this clip of him talking when he's asked how real his statistics and records were at the end of uh, at the end of Bloodsport and, and let the audience make up their own mind. Let's start here, Frank. So I want to like really address like the Kumite, like let's, let's make sense of it with the audience. Cause there's a lot of uh, sure. things out there with Kumite math and like other claims, but just to start at the very beginning here, the current, the, um, the information at the end of blood sport were, and, and I'll, I'll just reference it here. Uh, where it says from 1975 to 1980, Frank W. Dukes fought 329 matches retired undefeated as a world heavyweight full contact kumite champion still holds oh, four fuck. His world name is records, pronounced Dukes. Uh, fastest knockout fastest <laughs> punch fastest kick. ducks this whole Most time consecutive knock- oh well it's all bullshit anyway fuck me <laughs> fuck me his name is pronounced dukes god damn it that's in a single tournament 56 so just a simple question is this actually true or was that something the producer wanted to well, put on you, the film? You've got to understand, you, you can't compare apples to oranges, okay? This is not MMA. Mm-hmm. This is not uh, boxing, okay? Uh, this is not tennis, all right? Where it's one-on-one and you have brackets and you have a tournament and you, you can go from a single bracket to another bracket and then you're eliminated all the way down. 
uh, kumites are run in a variety of ways. A good example of that is Masayama. He had a hundred man kumite. He fought 200 men over a two day period. That's crazy. Nobody has a problem with that. Nobody has, has an issue with that. Somehow I have 300 over a lot over my career span, which is dwarfed by Oyama. Uh, you know, people find, 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 it, find a problem with it. And that's because they're dealing out of ignorance. The Kumite just is going back to like when I, when I first talked about it in Black Belt Magazine. It, it's a learning experience. It's a, it's a rite of passage. It's not a contest about putting butts in seats. Okay, that's really important to understand. This is not where you have headliners and you say, you know, Mayweather, you know, versus, sure. you know, Ali or whatever. You know, man, he's just he's just bending over backwards to not answer this question. Together that couldn't bite together at the same time, but anyways, my point is, you're fighting in in, in, in an atmosphere where you're really proving your your techniques. It's a proving ground. That's what it was really designed for. It's fueled by illegal gambling. So yeah, nobody's really keep trying to keep records of who's there. Nobody's taking pictures because nobody wants to be what. ID taking part in an illegal activity, especially if they may have a job that's a you know public service job. They could be fired and terminated for that. You're an attorney, you could lose your license over that. So yeah, there's not much footage of it around, just for the, the reason that you had all this illegal gaming going on. And again, it has nothing to do with selling tickets. The the whole point of it is in my Kumites, for example, I've got a variety uh, like I showed Sky Benson, I think he described to you on the show, the what it, were more representative like you saw in the movie. Lionheart. Lionheart. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's kind of strong representative of some of the kumites I fought. But at the same time, I fought tournament style, which are, which is kind of a bad way to explain it. But let me frame it in this context. In kumite, you fight, it's about endurance. You're really, it's really a test of endurance. And again, it's a proving ground of your technique. So they'll send a different guy against you, a fresh guy against you every minute. So when I fought my Kumite that the, the Bloodsport thing was about, you basically fought 20 guys a day for three days. Out of that, you end up with about eight, eight guys who are, they feel are the best, okay, of what of what's going on. And then you fight. So, uh, so, Mr. Dukes, which we've now learned your name is pronounced, um, you said that you were able to eat 5,000 hot dogs in the span of a day. And some people have called that into question and said that it's physically impossible for one person to eat 5,000 hot dogs in a day. But I just want to know, is that true or not? Did you actually eat 5,000 hot dogs in a day? Well, the thing about grocery stores is... You know, you go, you go to a grocery store and um, they have a lot of stuff on the shelves. You know, there's potatoes, there's potato chips, there's um, uh, mustard. Um, there is, uh, the, there, there are frozen waffles and um, there's also hot dogs there. So the thing about hot dogs is a lot of people don't know this, but um, a hot dog is made out of all of the leftover meat from other manufacturing processes so you know you oh have God, you i have can't your, do it <laughs> i can't do it i can't sit through the whole thing jesus christ like just 
he was just doing everything. You know how they tell you in like when you're doing media literacy training or whatever to like answer the question you wish you had been asked. I don't know what question <laughs> he was asking or answering, but uh, it wasn't the one he was asked. And it, I'm not sure he knew what question he was answering. He was just kind of speaking, just saying words. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, he's just I mean, it's it's just it's the it's the same thing we've seen from many a kayfaber before whether it was um whether it was um uh what's his name alexander love robinson was that his name alexander love robinson malachi malachi, malachi love robinson oh i i think i think i feel like it was there was an alexander in there somewhere like his, his name no, might, it's malachi it's malachi love robinson but your boy davy bakes consistently Ruh, said Ruh, malachi love robinson <laughs> but yeah whether it was malachi love robinson or sophia stewart um, or uh, James the Stardust Ranch guy, Stardust Ranch guy, or one. James Hydrick. You have that. You, there was a, there's this consistent phenomenon of liars vomit, which is that very particular thing where you're being interviewed and somebody asks you a direct question, and the fight or flight response to being questioned on an obvious lie is to like craft a word cloud in the hopes that this person will just get lost somewhere in the fucking miasma of what you're saying and they'll just forget what they asked you originally yeah i mean that's definitely what this guy is doing and also it looks like he's had a stroke because half of his face doesn't move and so he also had some legal troubles yeah it, it looks it looks like our boy frank dukes dukes which makes sense, but Dukes is how it's pronounced, not Ducks, even though I've been saying Ducks, because it's spelled D-U-X, Ducks. Didn't have all your Dukes yeah. in a row. All my Dukes in a row, yeah. As the decades pass, Frank Dukes... <laughs> I said Frank Ducks. <laughs> Fuck. Fuck. As the decades pass, Frank Dukes becomes more and more of a laughingstock. He even fell on hard times enough to sue Jean-Claude Van Damme for $50,000 over a film project that fell apart. Needless to say, Dukes is a product of a bygone era. Much like the stories of Orson Welles or J.J. Arms, Dukes lied his way to the top, or at least tried to. Unfortunately for Dukes, time caught up with him, as it will for all of us. Whenever all of our lies of our secret identities we're pretending we are eventually come to life. Little do you know, man, I uh, have fabricated an entire life I, I have a whole family that I've just never told you about. The bit. Do they all wear eye patches? Maybe. The bitch family. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking ridiculous. The patriarch of the bitch family, Spork Bitch himself. <laughs> so let's uh, let's sum this bad boy up. Uh, I feel like this is a pretty quintessential deep cuts. It's not a full dark cuts. We need a name for the episodes that are like focused on this persona, kayfabe, mercurial, typically a liar, business adjacent archetype. We both seem pretty fascinated with it and very interested in it. Even within that, there is there's even just like a, almost like a subgenre that this fits into because he like the Frank Dukes is not he's not exactly an Andrew WK. He's not even necessarily a um the guy, the the Gong Show guy. What, what what's his name? Oh yeah yeah yeah. The host of the Gong Show that like um, wrote a book 
uh, the danger, a dangerous mind. Yeah, because even that, like that, I would fit. I would make. I would. I would put him closer to Andrew WK than I even would Frank Dukes because he was like crafting this persona that was meant to be this weird, almost like almost like mythologizing himself. Like I don't think he necessarily like he wasn't trying to like grift people on this fake lie about his life. He was almost trying to like mythologize himself in this sort in this almost like meta um, kayfabe way. So I wouldn't even I would put him closer to Andrew WK than I would put Frank Dukes. But I feel like Frank Dukes falls in line with that J.J. Arms, Sophia Stewart, that that genre, which is like kayfabe con man, where it's it's crafting a personality specifically for like financial gain in this way, in this huckster way. Would you say it's a con fabe? Con fabe. Uh, that I mean, that's. That works the best so far. K-Man? Nope. Fabist? Getting further away. Fabulist? I don't even know what you're saying anymore. I'm Dave Baker. <laughs> That's where we're ending it? <laughs> <laughs> we, have, we, have, we have no thoughts or discussion about Frank Dukes? No, I'm joking. I'm joking. Yeah, I mean, I agree with everything you said. I think for me, it's a it's a very interesting bookend to people like J.J. Arms specifically because J.J. Arms is like like almost like a small town version of him, of Frank Dukes, where it's like he never succeeded. And there's something kind of even more interesting and like weird and sad and pathetic about that. And like the small stakes of it makes it a little bit more empathetic where the fact that Frank Dukes actually did succeed, got a movie made, swindled all these people part of me is kind of like hey good for you frank dukes they bought the story and another part of me is like where do you go from there like now that everybody knows that it's a fake like at least jj arms like as this habitual liar he's a man in his 80s now but he's never had that big breakthrough success so he can kind of just keep living the jj arms persona and it doesn't really matter you know what i mean because now it's just kind of like oh that kooky old man where frank dukes is like not able to do that because you know the first question he gets asked in interviews now is just like so what's it like being a piece of shit yeah well that that raises an interesting question because i the the interesting thing about that is i would almost put jj arms in a more malevolent book it because jj arms did and i think maybe even still does to a certain degree basically like utilize his lies and his reputation that he's built based on his lies to like swindle people out of money, like regular people. Like he used to take money from people saying that he would like investigate disappearances of their family members and things like that. And he, you know, he utilized that whole situation where he maneuvered himself into a place where he could claim that he saved Marlon Brando's son. And he used that story, which he clearly just like paid a bunch of people to go into Mexico and find his son and then just claimed that he did it. And he used that that story, that reputation to then go and just like get money from people to pretend like he was investigating their things, their disappearances and stuff like that. And then just didn't actually do it and just literally robbed these people. Whereas like, you know, the, the question I guess that I, I would like to pose is like with somebody like Frank Dukes who created a fictional personality and life and sold this 
big lie to a movie studio to have a movie produced. Um, other than the fact that a lot of people, uh, stolen valor is a huge stigmatized concept with a lot of people. There's a lot of people who find the idea of stolen valor like very reprehensible and just unforgivable. But aside from that, you know, do do we think there's even anything really morally wrong with what Frank Dukes has done? I can't think past uh, the phrase stolen valor because that would make such a good movie. Like, what if Jean-Claude Van Damme starred as older Frank Dukes (laughs) reconciling with these lies in a movie called... JCVD style? Yes, called fucking Stolen Valor. I mean, that's amazing. We got got to pitch that him immediately i would i would watch that movie in a heartbeat yeah it's just it's it's meta like jcvd but it's instead of instead of him playing himself in a fictionalized version where he's an actor who gets caught up in a bank robbery where they sort of treat him like he is the jcvd from the movies it's jcvd playing frank dukes in real life yeah and it's about how fucking sad the lawsuit is between Frank Dukes and Jean-Claude Van Damme when Frank Dukes was supposedly going to be brought on as a consultant for Enter the New Dragon, the remake slash sequel that fell apart that Jean-Claude Van Damme was going to star in. And it's about, like, it opens with, like, a teary scene at the courthouse where he's like, you know, I just just need these monies. All my family is in the (laughs) poorhouse. He just has this thick Brussels accent. My name is Frank Dukes, and I'm here to tell you I need this money for my 17 children. They were kidnapped by pirates, and I sold my sword. But now they're all dead, and I need this money to help them out. And <laughs> the lawyer's like, you sold your sword to save these kids, but now the kids are dead? What, ha- what, what are you saying? And he's like, all I can tell you is that I earned this valor. It is not stolen. Title card stolen valor. The question is, does who plays Jean Claude Van Damme? Does he? Does it? Is it? Does a different actor play him? Oh no, it's Frank Dukes. It's it's the real life Frank Dukes. But like, that's not going to happen though. So what's the real thing? Because Frank Dukes is not going to be a part of. Like, he's not going to be a part of this project. I don't know, man. I think it would be pretty fucking dope if Frank Dukes, like, you know. He didn't. Have, he doesn't have any. Doesn't have to have any lines, but he can just be like a retired action movie star, and he can you know be walking out of a courthouse, and somebody's like, oh, "Mr. Jean Claude Van Damme, Mr. Jean Claude Van Damme, I hear you being sued by Frank Dukes," and he's he's just like, mm. and gets in a car and drives off. That's his only. That's his only appearance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like a Stan Lee style cameo. I mean, I love that. I love that. Got to Got to do that. Got to cut this out and. So nobody can steal the idea and then go pitch it to JCVD like tomorrow. Stolen Valor, JCVD. But but Come on. Do, but do we do we think I mean, you know, Sophia Stewart, the thing that's so fucked up about her is that she was trying to steal credit for work from people who did the work. She was trying to diminish the role of the artist who created something and pretend like she was the one who actually secretly created it and they were charlatans the crimes of james hydrick are obvious um the like i said jj arms was like ripping people off do we have a huge problem with frank dukes 
crafting a lie so that he could sell a movie idea. I mean, I think on one hand, yeah, it's kind of harmless. And on another hand, I, because there are all these other people involved that like, you know, screenwriters that vouched for him, a public that theoretically believed this story and then were eventually had the, you know, they eventually had the rug pulled out from under them. It It's it's definitely not the same as like swindling people out of their life savings. But yeah, I don't think it's cool. I think it's shitty. Like, yeah, yeah I, I'm not into it. Are you? It's not that I'm into it. It's just that like conceptually, I feel like the idea of crafting a fictional reality and persona for yourself is something that's like totally up our alley. And then yeah, the like issue, the, the negative the part is of it is, is the the negative part of it is is inevitably the like the way it hurts other people. And in this case, there's less of that than there are in these other situations. Like like Malachi Love Robinson, a, where he's like stealing from people and practicing medicine on people when he is not licensed to do so and so on and so forth. Yeah, I think there's a difference, though, between like creating a fictionalized version of yourself and that being a subtle thing. You know, like I don't know that everybody knows that Andrew W.K. is a character, but the character he's playing is a character. That's not who Andrew Wilkes Cryer is the fucking character. Frank Dukes isn't a character. He's just a crazy person from the valley who claims to have done shit you know yeah i i I personally am not into this i feel like it's different than you know uh it's funny too because i i don't know why i have i have an easier time swallowing the jj arms stuff even though jj arms is doing more like he did more reprehensible stuff but it also comes from pain and like hurt people hurt people so i understand like oh this poor kid from middle of nowhere texas got his hands blown off and his coping mechanism was to build out a fake persona where he was a literal James Bond superhero that every woman wanted to sleep with. And for for Frank Dukes, it kind of just seems like a sad kid from the suburbs who maybe, maybe not is mentally ill. So you're not into my idea where we go to Universal and in order to sell uh, the, the stolen valor we pretend like we are um, Frank Dukes, who's actually just two boy detectives in a trench coat. Oh, no, I'm definitely into that. Oh, okay. A hundred percent. All right. Awesome. Well, I mean, let's do it. I'm Dave Baker. And I'm Spandrew Spice. This has been Deep Cuts. If you'd like to find me on the internet, you can do so at heydavebaker.com, or you can find books like Fuck Off Squad, Everyone's Tulips, Star Trek Voyager 7's Reckoning, Action Hospital, all kinds of stuff. Um, if you're going to San Diego Comic Con, you should swing by Booth. 2203 well i will be there selling comics and merch and specifically my new book halloween boy which is a comic about a super scientist archaeologist uh who travels the world trying to help people in impossible situations uh the first uh first installment first volume is done and will be at the show uh if you like things like um buckaroo bonsai doc savage the shadow uh the rocketeer uh, you'll probably like this because it's like weird and it's about a the phantom archetype style adventurer who rides a talking dinosaur. That's cool, right? Right? Spandrew, where can people find you on the internet? Well, you can't find me at San Diego Comic-Con because I am on a, a trip and I cannot make it. But um, if you're going to be at Comic-Con, please, please go up to Dave's booth and bring him some Arby's. As many of you as possible. 
everybody hearing this, I call is this is a call to arms. Storm the baker. Bring him your Arby's. I'm 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 calling for all the junior sleuths right now. If you are even remotely thinking about going to San Diego Comic-Con this year, get your get there. I it's probably too late to get a ticket now, but maybe you can find like a scalped one on Craigslist or something. Get to San Diego Comic-Con. Bring Dave some Arby's. He's a hungry, hungry boy. And he's got a lot of work to do. He doesn't have time to go and get food. Bring him Arby's for his own nutritional good. And uh, you can't find me on social media because I don't have social media, but you can uh, pay your respects to the dear beloved uh, late great Papa Pricey by going to his website, dapricerights.com and getting his book, um, Dead Bull AI Private Eye. You can follow us on social media, Facebook, go to Deep Cuts Podcast, or you can follow our Facebook group. Just search the Deep Cuts Podcast Facebook group. We talk about the show and make memes. You can also join our Discord server by going to bit.ly.com slash Discord, where we talk about the show, make memes, and also discuss other things insular to the show. Uh, you can follow us on Instagram at Deep Cuts Pod. You can go to our website, deepcutspod.com, and click on the shop where you can buy t-shirts, hats, fanny packs with uh, cool Deep Cuts graphics on them. You can buy the Junior Sleuth uh, uh, shoulder patch by going to our website. You can also get some of the last few simple code tape comics that are left in stock by going to deepcutspod.com and clicking on the shop. We have like, I don't know, like four or five of them left at this point. For anybody who's ordered them recently, I will get them shipped out to you. I've been on a long road trip and I will be getting back and being able to ship those to you fairly soon. Deep Cuts is a production by Boy Genius Media. If you'd like to find this show and others like it, please visit boygeniusmedia.com or deepcutspod.com. If you want to join in on post-episode discussions, please join the Deep Cuts Podcast Facebook group. Finally, subscribe to our YouTube channel for additional video content.